podcast, y'all. I am your host, Olaya Land. I am a pleasure and empowerment coach. I am here to help you navigate dating, sex, and relationships from a place of deep self-love. I am ethically non-monogamous, queer, sex positive, kink positive. I believe all bodies are good bodies. And it is my mission to help you feel sexually and emotionally empowered so you can bring that power out into the world. So I am super excited about today's interview. I have got an interview for you. I have not done one of those in a minute. Today, I am talking with my friend, Allison McManus. Allison is a fantastic coach. She works with habitual overextenders. So perfectionists, people pleasers, overachievers, I'm looking at you. (laughs) So if that's you, today's episode is going to be extra helpful. Allison helps people stop sacrificing a life of authenticity to perform a likable role, something so many of us do, something I have done in the past. Self-compassion and radical self-acceptance are big part of Allison's work, which is why I am thrilled to have her as a guest on the podcast. If you have been listening for a while, you know self-compassion, self-acceptance are huge themes on the podcast. I think they're super important. So in this episode, we get into self-acceptance, self-compassion, self-trust, all the big themes in relationships and in life. But before we dive in, a word from our sponsors. (laughs) Our sponsors is always me. So far, so far, it's me. Um, Before we dive in, I want to take a minute to say thank you for being part of this community and listening to the podcast. It really means so much to me. If you have found the podcast valuable, if you have learned something new, if you've benefited in some way from listening, or if you just like to support the show and my work, please consider sharing it with a friend who you think would be into it. And or, of course, rating and reviewing wherever you listen to podcasts. And of course, be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts to find out when a new episode drops. Sharing the podcast really is one of the best ways to support my work. And as always, I am so, so grateful for your support. And I also want to mention that in the coming months, I am going to be offering a group program on dating from a place of self-love. And if you're interested in that, Put yourself on the wait list and you will be notified as soon as registration is open. I will drop a link for that into the show notes. And a little note on the sound quality for this episode, you will hear a little bit of clicking in the first four minutes. I was having some trouble with the sound, but don't worry, that does not persist throughout the whole episode. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. I'm so happy to have you on. Thank you. I'm so excited to get to be here. Yes. Um, before we start, I just want to share with listeners that I know Allison because we are in a women's empowerment group together led by the amazing Anne Nguyen. Always want to give her props whenever I can because she is a transformational teacher. So I know Allison through this group and her work is amazing. So I wanted to have her on the podcast to share with you what she does. So yeah, can you tell us first a little bit about yourself and what you do? Yeah, awesome. I am super excited to be here. I am a coach, a life coach who works with people who habitually overextend themselves. So that typically folks that are gravitated towards my work have tendencies towards perfectionism, people pleasing, overachieving, and are wanting to do things differently and don't yet know how to, haven't yet developed the self-trust 
or even just the trust that there is a way to still get the results and maintain the connections and the admiration that they're accustomed to while doing things differently. So my work really centers building self-trust and self-acceptance and moving out of the tendency to focus on other people's perceptions of us, judgments of us, criticism of us, our own self-criticism as a way to move through the world. Yes, 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 yes. I can't like say enough yeses to all of that. Um, so needed, so amazing. Also, I wish that my like younger self or even myself, even up till just like five years ago, would have had access to that because like yep. that describes me like to a T, like overachiever, perfectionist, people pleasing. And it's so really like, I mean, I'm being kind of jokey, but it's like it's kind of debilitating. When you're in that pattern, you you maybe I didn't know that. I was just like what I was used to. This is how I succeed. That's in air quotes in the world. Um, but you know, in air quotes and out of air quotes, it was like a big part of like my safety mechanism. And then when you start to want to shift out of that, when you start to be like, oh, wait a second, maybe this is costing me more than it's giving me, that can be really incredibly challenging. Yep. I right, they're all patterns. They're highly rewarded and deeply depleted. Yes, yes, <laughs> exactly. Um, well said. So I'm very excited to talk about this both like, because this is also an ongoing process. Like I talk about myself as like a recovered perfectionist, but I should probably say like recovering because I feel like when you have these tendencies, when you, that's been part of your safety mechanism for existing in the world, they never go completely away. And it took me a while to get like comfortable with that. But now I'm like, okay, under extreme stress, those same tendencies still come out. So I am a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> yeah, I'm right there right there with you. A lot of my work is around helping people recognize how they use self-criticism or guilt to mm-hmm. get themselves into action, to start the project, to do the thing and for myself, I also fit this profile, right? This is a past version of myself that it's beautiful to get to help people walk this path into trusting themselves and accepting how these patterns have played a role but that they are not what defines somebody's worth or their lovability or ability to impact people and connect with people. That it's, yes. they, are, they are coping mechanisms that have worked and are not usually fully serving us. Well, and are also highly rewarded by American society, Western society. Um, but before that, like that, we can like have a whole podcast topic about that. <laughs> so this is a great transition. You talked about that you have all of these patterns with yourself. And so I assume this is how you've come to this work. So I ask everybody who comes on the podcast, I love to hear, I would love to hear a little bit about your past. Like, how did you get here? When people are doing cool, important, inspiring work, I always love to know the process of like, how did you get to this place? I was a competitive soccer player for most of my life. And I remember being a nine-year-old and my soccer coach saying, Allison, you are one of the uh, youngest perfectionist I have ever ever met. Oh, and wow. So, <laughs> from a very young age, right, I had very high expectations of myself and used them as a way to, to create value, right, to be valued by my team, to be rewarded by my family. It was the way that I knew how to guarantee that people admired me and, and saw that I was important. And so, right, my nine-year-old brain is... It's like, duh, if you tell me to do the thing and I do the thing, you reward me. And so this pattern seems to work well. And 
professionally prior to becoming a coach. I was a high school teacher, an educator, and this trifecta of perfectionism, people-pleasing, overachieving, of course, showed up there as well. Um, And I was completely burned out. So I was burning the candle at both ends, um, right? And I think when we talk about the social political context as a white woman working in a school of largely students and families of color, there were narratives of saviorism and of martyrdom and of, right, this is not just that other people need me in order to be okay, but it was also a way that I was curating this image of myself to myself, that I was somebody who was helpful and who people needed, mm-hmm. um, which was completely untrue and also <laughs> meant that I was completely depleted. And so I was receiving all sorts of leadership opportunities. I was highly rewarded and yet I was exhausted. And so when the pandemic hit and I wasn't commuting two and a half hours every day and I had space to close my computer and go have dinner and realized how valuable my time was to me and that I had been making an unconscious choice to say that go, go, go productivity, doing stuff all the time is what makes me valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, it shifted the way that I thought about my time and the way that I thought about my energy. And so I did a year long coaching program while I was teaching over zoom and it was a very confronting way that I started to recognize how these patterns were being used to prop up my self-worth and that mm-hmm. actually my worth was far beyond the things that I did. And so there's a lot of us out there <laughs> that have these similar patterns and I, decided, which was really scary for me, right? There's this weird tension, I think, when you have these patterns of having self-confidence, but also being very hyper-focused on how you are perceived and Mm -hmm. what does it mean if I start this business and it totally flops and uh, I have the confidence to be able to do it, but do I actually trust myself to navigate the uncertainty? Mm -hmm. Um, And because I have seen how much, how many possibilities have been opened by releasing some control. Mm-hmm. I love getting to support other people to do that as well. That's awesome. There's so many things that I feel like we could have like a five hour podcast interview. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's like so many things I want to dig into there. But first of all, just I want to thank you for having the like courage. Uh, to speak authentically about being a person, a white person teaching in a school where students that are largely students of color, having that, you didn't say like white savior complex, complex, but like that, like sense of martyrdom or that just calling that out. I think most people just would kind of gloss that. So thank you for being honest and authentic about that. Um, And then also about the pandemic, I think it's amazing how I, I, obviously the loss of life and the loss of income and the upheaval that many of us have suffered from the pandemic and the mismanagement at an administrative Mm -hmm. level, like is heartbreaking. And at the same time, it has been an event for many people, myself and many people I know that have like cracked the, them like wide open. I feel like I was like cracked wide open by the pandemic and got these like realizations that I never would have gotten otherwise about how precious life is, about what I want to be doing with my time, about how life is too short to be like showing up as somebody that I'm not and like doing this stuff where I can't live as my full self. So anyway, that just like really had a similar experience that really resonates. Thank you for sharing. It became a pause, right? It was a forced pause that I think looked very, very different based on 
economic class, race, geography. Mm -hmm. Um, But a universal truth, I think, was that it changed the way we experienced our lives. (laughs) Absolutely. And in that pause, it it calls forth just this bigger question of, am I doing things I actually really want to do? Or, or am I living from these default patterns or from these patterns of necessity based on these systems that are designed to not let me thrive? And what are ways that we have agency or can collectively organize to create spaces that actually meet us and actually support us um, to live in greater alignment? Yes, totally. One of the big things I've been like, I haven't talked about this much on the at all on the podcast or social media, but like one of my big kind of realizations of the past couple of years that's becoming clearer and clearer to me is just that my quest for like personal liberation, liberation in the space of race, social justice, all of it ties together. And the underlying theme is the theme of returning to your true self, to your true nature, to being able to show up in your fullness, in your wholeness, in your sexuality, in your, to feel as a person of color that you have space to like be exactly as you are, like in your gender identity, that we have all these layers of programming and bullshit that have been like laid over the top since we were children about how we should look, what our body should look like, who we should be in love with, what relationships should look like, what sex should look like, what ideas we should have about that. And that my quest is just to like layer by layer for myself and for my clients and for everybody listening to this podcast, just like pull that off so people can like come home to themselves. So I think this work you're doing is like incredibly important. Yeah. Beautifully said. Thank you. Um, okay. So I have some questions for you. There's some stuff I want to talk about. So you talk talk a lot on your Instagram about self-compassion, which really resonates with me and which I think is very important, but I would love to hear you talk about it a little bit more. Like what is self-compassion? Why is it so important? So I think of self-compassion as at its core, really being about self-acceptance. And I think when we have these overextender tendencies, we hear self-acceptance and we think that's really complacent (laughs) or like that's super passive. How am I supposed to achieve and be admired and create my best life if I'm in this passive place? And I actually think self-acceptance is required. It's absolutely not passive. (laughs) It requires immense intentionality because of what you just spoke to, the layers of conditioning we've received that it is resistance um, against the go, go, go that we've been taught. And so accepting all of us is saying, oh man, these patterns, these coping strategies, these habits that I've picked up along the way, I don't actually have to demonize myself for them. Mm. I actually get to listen for how have these patterns tried to serve me Mm-hmm. Even if they've been ineffective, right? If you are somebody who often procrastinates, instead of going to this cultural con- like cultural narrative that you're lazy, it's like, well, actually, no, that's that's a protective mechanism, right? Mm-hmm. You may not start the thing because you're worried you might not get it perfect. And then if you don't get it perfect, you're in existential crisis because you've been told your worth is determined by what you do. Mm-hmm. And so when we actually shift it to think about well, that pattern, I'm not bad because I have that pattern. At some point in my life, it's a way that I knew to receive love to survive. I think it really shifts how we relate to ourselves and 
why I see that as so important is that I think, at least in the U.S., we live in a culture that is obsessed with punishment. Mm. It is obsessed with right and wrong. It's obsessed mm-hmm. with good and bad, right? The capitalist idea of meritocracy, right? If you <laughs> work and do this and produce this, then you are deserving of this, right? The white supremacist culture that says it's either or, right? You're good or you're bad, right? This Puritan obsession with original sin and uh, needing to self-flagellate to like, yeah, to change how we act. Yeah. The thing that's super interesting is many of us have internalized that voice. And so we listen to that critic in our head as a way to avoid punishment. And the irony is we have punishingly high expectations of ourselves as sort of a defense to not end up in that position where we are the recipient of other people's judgment. So we think if we punish ourselves, we'll do it right, then we'll be good, then we will be valued and we'll be above people criticizing or judging us. Yes. Like I know in my perfectionist tendencies, like a lot of it was about like, I will do all the self-flagellating so nobody else can do it. I will create a wall, an impenetrable wall by being so punishing with myself that there couldn't possibly be any room for anybody to like, I've already done it. Like step aside. No, 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 no. I've I've got this. (laughs) Yeah. Right. And then when we talk about how that shows up in relationships, it's like, it's very hard to receive criticism or to hear feedback that's challenging because we're so hard on ourselves. So it's like a... Right. I, I don't need you to give me the feedback. I've already been punishing myself to try to get right. And it, it create very defensive, triggered dynamics in our intimate relationships. Yes. Let's talk about that. You are like hitting all of the segues here. <laughs> yes. <laughs> let's talk about comp- self-compassion in the context of dating and relationships. So like what are some of the ways, the main ways that you see self-compassion either having self-compassion or how we lack self-compassion as a culture, how that comes into play in dating and relationships. Yeah. In the culture of America, we are very hyper-individual. And I think part of what comes with that is, one, I think we live in this ideology of inadequacy, right? This idea that we're never enough, we're never good Mm -hmm. enough. But then hyper-individualism makes it seem like you are uniquely broken. It is uniquely a you problem, (laughs) as opposed to we are swimming in this water that benefits from us questioning or doubting ourselves. And so- Like literally benefits, like the diet industry, uh the beauty and diet industry, that's like a multi, multi, multi multi-billion dollar industry built on you, all of us feeling like we're not beautiful enough, we're not thin Mm -hmm. enough, we're not sexy enough, we're not young enough, like- I mean, it it is soapbox. No, stay on your soapbox. It is fodder for capitalism, right? It and then it shows up in our intimate relationships. And I think again for the clients that I work with, because so much goes into our image management because we think we are uniquely broken, and so right there can be this fear of being exposed, and so we we can struggle to show up authentically because we have this idea that, well, my true self is going to be rejected. Yes. So let me play a role that I've maybe played in other parts of my life because I know that it has worked in the past. Um, 
And the paradox is we play a role of somebody else and maybe that role is loved and adored, but to what you said earlier, we're not actually at home in our bodies to be able to receive that love because right. It's not, it's not us. It's a version. It's a caricature. It's a role. And I think vulnerability is a prerequisite for authenticity. Yes. And so when we recognize that we don't have to keep putting forward this version, somebody else's version of who we're supposed to be, and we're actually willing to be all of us, it changes the game. Um, Totally. Yeah. And I think, I think vulnerability is also key, like both to authenticity, which is like key for just thriving in life in general. But also I think it's so important for having a fulfilling, safe, joyful relationship. I think it's, I'm going to go so far as to say that I think it's impossible to have a relationship that is truly connected, fulfilling, safe, joyful, expansive without vulnerability. And so many of us are taught to like play a role, whether it's like, oh, women performing like, like beauty work, like I have to always be beautiful. My job is to be, you know, attractive. My job is to be, to prioritize my, and this is a cis hetero narrative here, but that is the main narrative in our culture. So I'll speak to that, like that it's my job to prioritize my partner's pleasure and to, um, you know, be sexy, but not too sexy and like, don't be too much. And yeah. So I think we get trapped in that and then it's impossible to have a relationship that feels truly connected and good. So it, it's particularly fun that this is the date that we rescheduled the podcast for because today is my nine-year anniversary. Oh, wow. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And I, it's what knowing what I know now, I look back at the version of me nine years ago who thought I was being very vulnerable and very open. And it wasn't until hard, do you, can we swear on the podcast? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> until... <laughs> fucking hard shit happened and I misstepped or I struggled or right there were cracks in the armor of this curated image I had and my partner didn't bat an eye that I was like oh damn I can share this part and you don't leave (laughs) yes yes I'm glad you brought that up because like there's vulnerability like often I tend to think about it in terms of like just being your full self and being at home in yourself. But there is that like you you have to give your partner or partners the opportunity to see you in your fullness, to to be supported, to be loved in your like struggling moments, in your sad moments, in your like totally falling apart at the seams moments. Like you without vulnerability, you're not giving your partners, partner or partners the opportunity to to hold you in that way, to show yeah. up, to accept you. Yep. And I think to that point, right, this is this is where self-trust is such a big deal, because if part of authenticity means, right, and self-compassion means that we're willing to show up for ourselves, even when things are uncertain. So when we have accumulated a whole vault of data that says, well, when I'm perfect or when I, right, make it look like I'm perfect. I'm doing things by my standard, internalized standard of what's perfect. And people respond well. We don't often create a lot of spaces in our life for counter evidence, to create a counter narrative that says, well, when I didn't show up that way, people still loved me. And so when we are willing to test the waters, 
I think it opens up the space for authentic connection, as you've shared. But for many of us, it feels so scary to do it because our brains have that bias that things are going to go poorly. So don't do it because it's not worth the risk. This is where self-trust is such a big deal because it says, even if I am rejected by this one person, I am willing to have my own back. Yes. Right. Like I'm willing to navigate the temporary discomfort of this relationship or this moment because I've accepted the long-term gains of showing up as my authentic self. And that that is worth infinitely more than this breakup with somebody who wasn't really about it anyway. <laughs> yes. I didn't know how to be here for it. Yeah. Yes. And I will take this opportunity to shout out the fact that the last, epi- well, by the time this airs, it might be two episodes ago, but episode uh, 29 is all about self-trust because I think it is so foundational to 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 thriving in life, to feeling happy, to feeling content, but especially, especially in relationship, to step away from looking for validation from others, specifically from your partner, which mm-hmm. I'll, I said it on the podcast, but I'll repeat it here, which doesn't mean it's not amazing. It doesn't feel good to be celebrated, to be held, to be, to receive compliments, to receive love. But there's a difference between enjoying that, letting it feel good and feeling like you need that to like survive or to be okay in a relationship. I think like, yeah, self-trust is so, so incredibly important. So I'm glad you called that out. Yeah. And I'm so glad you gave it its own podcast episode because (laughs) it really is foundational, right? Yeah. Like to deciding that we, even if we experience disappointment, even if we experience hurt, that we are capable of being with ourselves, even in that, it opens up the freedom to to take the risk of showing up as our authentic selves. Yes, it's it's wildly powerful. I feel like in the past couple of years, I've really come into like deep self-trust in a way I've never had it in my life before. Part of that is age and experience and trying shit. But part of it is like me making the decision from, like I said, my my experience during the pandemic to to just like no, life is too short. Like I'm just doing it. I'm coming out in my full sexuality. I'm coming out as queer, as polyamorous. I am going to to talk about things that are important to me. Like I made a decision in 2020, I think to just not let racial shit slide, like microaggressions Mm -hmm. and racist people saying casually racist shit. Like I just decide like, nope, I'm not doing that anymore. And Mm -hmm. so making that decision and showing up with self-trust, it's like changed my whole life. Like no joke. It's huge. Well, and I I think what you just described, part of self-trust is following through on what we say we're committing to. So when you, and that builds (laughs) self-trust, when you say, I'm not going to stand for this and I am going to take care of myself in whatever way that looks in any given moment, and then you do that, (laughs) you are strengthening the self-trust and the belief in yourself that, okay, well, when the next thing happens that's challenging, I have evidence that I've shown up for myself and I will do it again. And it continues to make it easier to be brave and be courageous Yeah, totally. I think all of these skills, self-trust, self-compassion, they don't come naturally to us. These are not things that most of us receive in childhood that we're taught. And I just want to take the opportunity here to call out that they, it takes time to develop these skills and it is like developing muscles. Like you don't go to the gym Mm -hmm. on day one and like throw like 500 pounds on the squat rack. (laughs) Yep. 
part Um, because you'll hurt yourself. And it's kind of the same with this. Like, I just always like to encourage people with all of these concepts. Like if you're moving away from perfectionism, if you're moving away from people pleasing, if you're trying to grow your self-trust and your self-compassion, like know that it's hard. Know that like all of our conditioning pushes us in the opposite direction. Be gentle with yourself as much as you can and like take tiny steps. And don't be preciously perfect about self-compassion because you're going to drop the ball at some point. (laughs) So like perfectionist thing about not being perfectionistic. (laughs) uh So like having the meta awareness of like, oh, I'm beating myself up again. Don't layer on more beating yourself up. Practice coming back to that place of like, how is me talking shit to myself in this moment a way that I'm trying to come closer to myself? What many people, when they write off self-compassion, don't realize is that it is the most sustainable way to changing behaviors and changing patterns, right? Self-judgment works for a little bit, but then most of us spiral into (laughs) shame, we freeze, and then we let go of the thing that we said we wanted to work towards. Yeah. And let's not also forget that it just feels a whole lot better. (laughs) Mm -hmm. to be like kind to yourself Mm -hmm. but to be flagellating and beating yourself up all the time like um yes absolutely um I would love to talk about like so we've talked about kind of how important self-compassion is how important self-trust is but like I always like to be practical on this show because it drives me crazy when people talk about concepts like just love yourself but like when I was trying to do that I was like how bitch like tell me how (laughs) what are the steps (laughs) yes when I was trying to learn all these skills it would drive me crazy when people would talk about like what you need to do without giving like some ideas of how to start doing that so I would love to talk about some ways that that people can work towards greater self-compassion and authenticity and allow their full selves to show up specifically in relationship yeah I think one that is really valuable is to make space for yourself to get clear on your values, both for you individually and potentially in partnership. And the reason I see that as so important is that values create a container, right? They create context. And so on days when things hit the fan or things are hard in partnership, they are a place we can come back to that we have already identified as like, this is how I want to experience myself. This is how I want to feel in my life. And so even on the days, especially on the days when things are hard, it's a grounding place that propels us even when there's resistance to whatever experience we're we're moving through. Can I ask you to get to be specific? Like how could somebody set that forth for themselves or yeah with so let's i literally will take out a list of like 130 values <laughs> i will pick out which one of these to really resonate with me and paying special attention to which of these do i think i should hold <laughs> right because mm-hmm. again that's that externalized image curation i will pick which ones i try to keep it to 3 to 5 core values mm-hmm. i will write them up someplace that i will see them and there's um, one of my former nervous system coaches named Sally Hardy has this beautiful set of questions where she'll say, let's say I pick love as one of my values. Mm-hmm. Um, she will ask questions such as, how would love respond to this situation? Mm. Right? How, would, how can I give more love to this other person in this moment? How can mm-hmm. I give more love to myself in this moment? Mm-hmm. Am I using love as a way to judge myself or judge this other person? Mm -hmm. So 
instead of being concepts on a paper, they are they're ways that you can actually sort of filter your experience and use them as a honing device for <laughs> how am I actually speaking and what is actually important to me? And am I acting in alignment with that? Because often what happens if we act out of alignment with our core values, we're creating more resistance because there's going to be some part of us that feels that we're out of integrity and will, um, it's, a, it's an energy drain. Like you're literally mm-hmm. leaking your ability to be uh, aligned and present. So I have seen people just do that solo. I have seen people go through that in partnership. So like mm-hmm. what are our shared core values that we want to use as we're making decisions, as we are navigating conflict? How do we want to relate to one another when things are not going well or when we're making decisions about how we want to experience trips together. They're very tangible ways, I think, to be able to navigate waters, especially when they're uncertain. Yeah, I love that. Do you have any um, kind of practical tips for navigating self-compassion when you're maybe not in an established partnership when you're dating or in the early stages of a relationship, I feel that that's an area that can be especially triggering of our insecurities because somebody doesn't know us yet. And it's, you know, a lot of dating happens online and with dating apps, you are literally encouraged to market yourself like a product instead of it's fairly hard to show up as your real self. That's not what's encouraged. That's not what most people are doing. So do you have any practical tips for how people can show up authentically and with self-compassion in that stage of dating or early relationships? Yeah. Some like guiding questions to think about, right? If the goal is to move towards authenticity is to notice, am I making decisions based on the curated image that I want somebody to receive of me? Versus am I making decisions based on how I want to receive myself, based on how I want to represent what home in me is and what relationship, what connection looks like to me? Like it sounds like what you're saying to me is like even like am I making decisions based on other? Are my decisions based on potential partners or are my decisions based on me? And I think that your decisions – not that you should go out in the world and be like a colossal dick. Like that's not what I'm saying, but like, <laughs> but like that your relationship, your, your decisions should always be based on you. They should always start with you and like what you need and what feels good to you. Absolutely. Okay. The next thing I want to talk about, which is unavoidable in relationship is conflict. So no healthy relationship is without conflict and learning how to navigate conflict in a healthy way without abandoning yourself is so, so, so important, I feel, for feeling good in yourself and growing strong relationships. So do you have any thoughts on how we can use self-compassion to help navigate conflict or, you know, when we get triggered in relationship? I think one thing that I have learned through this process is that understanding is one avenue for self-compassion and for compassion in relationship with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And there's a book that I read when I was doing my masters in educational leadership. And they had us read a book called Difficult Conversations. Mm -hmm. Highly recommend it just for interpersonal communication. But one of the things that it mentioned that I really loved is that often when we are experiencing conflict with somebody, we may experience the same triggering event or the same, same, whatever goes down, we might have the same vantage point of what's happened. We will interpret it very differently based on our lived experiences, our socialization, our epigenetics, maybe even. Mm -hmm. 
and then we will come to conclusions. Mm -hmm. Often where the conflict happens is because our conclusions are different. Mm -hmm. And when we see somebody else's conclusion and we're like, how the hell did you come up with that? Oh, I've been there. Right? Or, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or like, that's so different than mine. Yeah. And I have this set vision that my conclusion is the only thing that makes sense. Often what we bypass is really unpacking that second step, which is the interpretation. Mm -hmm. And so what I have found in my relationships is going back to the interpretation step mm. and explaining, well, how did you come to that conclusion? Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, what are the things that you have experienced or the values you hold or the beliefs or assumptions maybe? And again, assumptions in a positive way. It's like, what are the ways that you are making meaning of this is one of the greatest ways to build understanding. Because if I understand that oh, at that point, right, earlier in your life, you experienced this thing and this moment totally brought you back to that. So you drew conclusions based on that thing that happened in the past. My ability to hold space and recognize like, well, that conclusion makes a lot of sense based on that thing that you experienced really grows. And it, even if my conclusion may be different, I can under, have greater understanding for how somebody arrived where they did. Oh my God, yes. I had this like just the other week with Bo where I don't I don't remember what we were having conflict over, but somehow we managed to like, like rewind. And mm -hmm. um, it turned out that like I was suggesting I do something because I didn't want to annoy them. I didn't want to like mm. be burdensome. And they thought that I wanted to do it because I thought they were incompetent. And like, mm -hmm. once we just got, once they, on the minute that they understood, I was like, oh no, like, I feel like this thing is a pain in the ass. So that's why I'm, it like took every, all of the conflict, like instantly melted. Yeah. And it, it builds intimacy too. Yes. Because yes, you yes, are, yes. It, it does in some ways, it makes space to be able to share more about your emotional process, your mental process, your past experiences, what's important to you, what are pain points or insecurities that you have that were activated when that thing occurred. And so it is a place, again, right? Like if we have tendencies of perfectionism or people pleasing and we try to avoid conflict at all costs, we don't get these rich, juicy opportunities to build deeper admiration, to build deeper connection, to build deeper vulnerability by being seen in the things we thought we had to shove in a closet and make sure nobody ever <laughs> found out about. Yes. And like, so I think greater compassion for our partners, but also like, as you were talking, it occurred to me that most people, we're not conscious of, of this interpretation. Mm -hmm. It's like lightning mm -hmm. fast because we've been doing it. We've been running these scripts our whole life. So yep. in the process of like going back and interrogating what what was the interpretation on both sides, it also gives us room to look at like what's going on within us, which I think is a form yep. of like self-compassion and also really useful. Absolutely. You can't, you can't articulate it if you don't know it. Yeah. And if right, and if you don't retrace the steps to understand the decision, right? Whatever the <laughs> the inflection point was where a decision was made or a next step was taken, mm -hmm. rewinding ourselves back to that point is such a powerful exercise. And like, what was the thought that activated this feeling that led me to take this, say this thing or do this thing that's created <laughs> where we are now? Yes. And I am going to ask again for like, like very like real world, like you said, this is something that you've Put into practice with your partner and past relationships. So say I'm in conflict, not like say it's not huge, 
there is a point past which it's very hard to like calm down. And in that case, you sometimes just need to step away, take some space, calm yourself, self-regulate. But Sam having some conflict with a partner and it's starting to get a little bit more heated, what literal steps would you suggest for, for accessing this before you're completely triggered or before you're in a full-blown fight? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I appreciated all the words you used to describe sort of the way escalation can happen. Because um, I think there are places where we are not necessarily able to, like once we get to a certain level of activation and our <laughs> nervous systems are in like full-blown threat stress, yeah. it can be difficult to rewind here. Mm-hmm. And so I think one, just sort of being able to have a pulse of like, are are you in a place, am I in a place of being able to hear right not just to like to actually listen to what somebody's saying and to have the presence of my own cognitive patterns to be able to rewind so one i think just assessing where are we in the (laughs) what's happening in our nervous systems and can we do this now or do we need to say let's pause and come back to this in an hour Mm -hmm. um but then i think right it, it often looks like for me simply saying i would love to hear more about your thought process. Oh my God. I I feel like that sentence alone could like elevate relationship, get rid of like 80% of relationship problems. (laughs) Yeah. But we don't do it. We don't do it. We're not taught Mm -hmm. to like, or Mm -hmm. I know very few people who do that. People go into like defensiveness or people pleasing, but yes. Okay. Sorry. Please please continue. No, I loved it. Uh, (laughs) Can you tell me more about how you came to that conclusion? Mm -hmm. Like, can you tell me more about the feelings that this is bringing up for you? Mm Mm-hmm. Or I would love to share a little bit about how I'm understanding this. Yes. I would love to let you know how this landed for me when X, Y, Z thing happened. Um, So good. Like all of those phrases are so helpful. And I find, I don't know, I tend to get, I'm somebody, like I have a fight response more than a flight. I get heated a little too quickly. So like just having the scripts is really helpful because I feel like in the moment, I sometimes remember like, oh, there's another way to do this. But I'm like, oh, shit, I don't remember what it was. But if like, (laughs) I like, I'm like, literally going to take what you said and write that down on a piece of paper after this call. And like, if I have it on my desk, I'd be like, okay, wait a second. And then I think that's like the first step. And then maybe in a second step, that just becomes your go to. Like before you get super triggered, like, okay, wait a second. Like, how how did you get to this place? I would love to hear more about like how you came to that because I'm feeling something completely different. Can you tell me more? So, so helpful. Okay. Um, I want to be respectful of your time, but I have a few more questions that I would love to ask you. Um, And one that I would love to get in is um, confidence, which is kind of a nebulous and kind of like a nothing word. Like it doesn't it's been appropriated in so many ways that it's kind of lost its meaning. But I do think that it's important as just like a term that kind of encapsulates a sense of like feeling good in yourself, feeling like you've got, it's like all the things. It's like self-trust. It's like authenticity, all these uh, self-compassion, belief in your own abilities, like all these things go into confidence. And I do think that self-compassion is related. So I'm wondering if you have any thoughts on self-compassion and confidence or just how to grow confidence if we're not self-flagellating, if we're not protecting mm-hmm. ourselves or or wrapping our worth up in being perfect or people-pleasing or those old behaviors, how to grow confidence in a way that is holding ourselves with self-compassion. 
we can be very confident and still not be at home in ourselves, <laughs> right? We can be very confident in an image that we have curated, right? A, a way that we have historically been received positively. I'm going to play the devil's advocate. I'm going to ask, like, is that true okay. confidence? There's an interesting conversation to be had about confidence. Maybe a, maybe what I'm expressing is actually vanity more than confidence. Or maybe even just like false confidence or like what we think society perceives as confidence. Because I felt that myself in my own like academic achievement. Like that was my big like shield that I like held up. And I was very calm. I was like, like, yeah, no problem. Like, um, And I mean, maybe that's a kind of vanity, but it was more like, this is something I know society values and I have that, but it wasn't true confidence like I have now. So anyway, I'm not trying to throw you off your, off your game. I'm just, no, no, I'm just no, no. I appreciate it. Um, you know, I think confidence, I love that you named that it's very intimately connected to self-trust because I think truly being confident in ourselves, right? It requires a level of self-love for who we are mm. as an individual. Yes. Uh, and all of us, right? I can be confident when I've decided I don't need to shame certain parts of myself. And, and I think you can be confident and still have insecurities. Totally. I don't want to say that like, totally. I <laughs> you're confident. Now you've made it. I mean, I have tons of insecurities, but I am confident. Yeah. Like, Yeah. And, and I think part of where the self-compassion is, is right. the more that we can divest from shaming aspects of ourselves, the more that we can choose to embrace, well, this thing about me is weird. And also, like I'm totally fully worthy of love <laughs> while also having this quirky trait or this interesting habit or this <laughs> uh, idiosyncrasy that, that that thing doesn't make me less worthy of love. And when I can choose to love and embrace that part of myself, I am less susceptible to other people's judgments about that part of me. Mm. Right? I'm less likely to get triggered and activated and let my insecurities take the driver's, right, the steering wheel, mm -hmm. because I have chosen to accept um, that these parts of me, right, that they're here. Maybe, right, if it's a pattern that it served me at some point, that if it's a habit um, or a, an idiosyncrasy that, like, being like everybody else, again, is not a way that I'm going to receive love in the world. It's a way that a version of me that society, just what you said, that society decided is lovable, is going to receive love. When I can love all these parts of me, I am returning home to myself, and then I'm actually available and present to be in connection. Yes. And I love that you tied that. Like that that's actually a really excellent definition, I think, of confidence or a way of viewing confidence is clearing away shame. So it's not like bravado. It's not like thinking I'm the most amazing at everything. It's not like not having insecurities, any of that. It really is about like this is me. Like I have weird parts. I have sad parts. I have vulnerable parts. I have amazing, talented parts and not yeah. feeling shame about those. I do think that that is the foundation of being able to show up with confidence. And it can also be a big task. Yeah. Just because all of the things we've been talking about, about how much shame there is in societal conditioning, especially for marginalized yeah. groups, for 
queer folks, for gender fluid folks, for people of color, for women. This is a whole nother podcast, but I think that you talked about society, American society in particular, or Western society being very obsessed with punishment and punishing. I think that's absolutely true. And I think shame, whether tacit or not, is a tool of oppression. And so I think that this is all intricately linked both to liberation and confidence is clearing away that shame so you can stand in the world as your full self, loving yourself as you are. I love that you tied it back to the larger context, right? Because for many of us, our natural reaction to shame is to shrink, is to get smaller, is to step out of the light as a way to not feel humiliation. And therefore, it's a way that keeps many people quiet and keeps many people small. And so the systems of power that have traditionally been in the dominant group continue to hold the space. Okay, before you go, what's the biggest challenge you face personally as you focused on growing self-compassion and stepping away from perfectionism, people-pleasing, all those behaviors? What's been the hardest for you? Mm -hmm. Um, Using self-help as a weapon against myself. Oh, tell us (laughs) more about that. (laughs) Yeah. So saying like, well, I know shame is bad, so I should be doing something differently, Mm -hmm. which is just another coded way of shaming myself. Yes. of expecting that I should already be into my healing era, (laughs) that I should already be healed. Yeah. Uh, And so then guilting myself and feeling bad, which is the exact thing that I'm saying I I no longer want to do. Yes. Thank you for sharing that because I think it's it's so common. And I think it's just evidence. I think many people, that will resonate with many people. And I think it's just evidence of how deeply, deeply ingrained these patterns are and that it takes Mm -hmm. like multiple rounds of going through it to kind of lift those patterns. Yeah. I always think of the metaphor of like a spiral staircase that we go around mm-hmm. everything I've ever learned. Mm-hmm. It's not like one and done, boom, nailed it, shame yep. free. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you just you just keep going around the spiral staircase and then you just find yourself one level higher. And then one level, you come back, oh, here's shame again. Oh shit. Okay. Let me like try something. And then you go around, you're like, whew, and you're one level. Oh my God, there's shame again. And you like, uh-huh. I don't know. That's how I think of learning. I think that's absolutely brilliant. I I think it makes, right? And that's where self-compassion comes in is to being able to say, fuck, it's here again. And I'm a little more equipped at this level of the staircase than I was at the last one to navigate it with more gentleness yes. and grace. Yes, yes, yes. Um, okay, so what is the biggest benefit that's come out of this work for you, moving away from perfectionism and people-pleasing? And I... Feel a lot more feelings. I have a much wider range of feelings available to me. I think for a long time, right, I think especially in high school, I was voted the nicest in friendliest. I think I was the friendliest kid in my graduating class. And I viewed positivity and being friendly as the way to build connection and recognition. And it worked. I was voted (laughs) friendliest. But I didn't realize that that level of superficiality really undermined my ability to express and to feel a wider range of not just sadness, anger, but joy, right? When you anesthetize a certain emotion, you anesthetize many emotions. (laughs) 
and trusting again back to self-trust trusting myself that I can be disappointed and it doesn't have to mean something about me that I'll have my back that I will stay present with myself through a challenging emotion it's a sweet relationship to have with yourself yes 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 thank you for sharing that yeah um and then is there any advice, what advice would you give to your younger self or anyone who's kind of starting out on this path of growing greater self-compassion and self-acceptance? Like somebody just stepping their foot onto the, the beginning of the path, what advice would you give? What one piece of advice? Yeah. Um, I'm going to cheat okay. and do two. <laughs> <laughs> one is that you don't need punishment to get to the next step in your journey that that you don't need punishment to change yourself into doing something differently or to behaving mm -hmm. differently that self-compassion will be the most sustainable path and to do your best to trust that there is a world of possibility beyond the confines of what your ego says is possible so that you don't have to control everything because you can't control everything. You can't control most things. And so giving yourself the grace to allow some things to unfold without all the efforting and all of the controlling, there will be times it will be so much sweeter than what you thought. Mm. Could Good be advice. Yeah, to also to have faith in, in a different possibility, mm. in a different way of living, in a different way of showing up, in a different way of feeling in your body. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. I second that yeah. so much. Also, very true. If anybody is at the beginning of this path, just starting to want to make these changes or feeling scared, this is absolutely true. That from take it from two recovering perfectionist <laughs> overachiever <laughs> people mm -hmm. pleasers. <laughs> Yeah. Who are a little bit further down the path, like there is so much richness, there is so much joy, there is beauty, there is fuller self-expression, there is fuller connection with others. Absolutely. Thank you for that one. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh, this has been such a great conversation. I would love for you to share where people can find you online. How can people work with you? Do you have any programs coming up? Tell us everything. Yeah. Thanks for making space for me to share. So I can be found on Instagram at Allison McManus coaching. And I will drop, I will drop links for all of this into the show notes. Thank you. Um, also website, allisonmcmanus.com or allisonmcmanuscoaching.com. <laughs> um, I primarily right now I'm working with people one-on-one -on -one, though. I do have a group people pleasing program that we're figuring out the dates of when we will run it again in 2023. But if you, DM me, say that you're interested. Um, I'll also be working on setting up the email list to be getting updates about that. So there's many ways to stay connected there. But I, I love when people DM me on Instagram just to say, hey, I heard this thing that was interesting or here's a thing that I'm struggling with. How does this fit into your framework? I adore creating content based on what people are, what's coming up in their lives. And so I would love to be able just to connect with folks and hear where you're at in the journey and see if there are resources that I can point you towards. Yes. So generous. All right, everybody, you heard it. Go follow Allison, check out her website, get on the list for her program because she really does amazing work. Um, she just has a huge, like compassionate heart and is doing work that I think is truly very, very important. 
Allison, thank you so much for chatting with me today. This has been wonderful. Thank you for having me. And I am excited to be just connected to you, connected to your work and your community. So oh. thank you. <laughs> thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I hope this leaves you thinking about ways you can lean into authenticity, self-trust, and self-compassion in your relationships and in your life. If you could use some additional support in developing the kind of self-trust and self-love we talked about today, or around learning to accept and love your body, getting in touch with your sexual self, growing your emotional and sexual confidence, creating the sort of relationship or relationships you desire, that is exactly the kind of work I do with my clients and I would be honored to help you as well. So if you are interested in finding out more, you can get in touch with me by DMing me on Instagram, sending me an email, or scheduling a 45-minute obligation-free coaching session with me. I will put links for all of those in the show notes. So I will be back soon with another episode for you. Until then, I hope you have a beautiful week and remember that you are perfect exactly as you are.